Tempe, we have sort of uh, modified the service. Uh, we've had someone that had tested positive, so we just backed everything off uh, as much as we could for today, this coming Wednesday. Then on the 13th, we'll, we'll all be back together, unless something else comes up that we it's unforeseen. But we're glad that you're here. If you're listening online, well then we appreciate you being there. We are going to uh, go forward with this and we'll be just like you won't even know anything's different. And the ones that are here, well, I'm going to just give you the whole wagon load as we come together and we study God's word. Before we begin, let's go to God in prayer. Our God and our Father, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your blessings. Ask that you would watch over us. Open our hearts and minds to your holy word, Father, that by doing so, we may glean from it those things that would draw us closer to you. Make us more like you, that others may see you living within us. Bless us as we study, for it is in Christ we do pray. Amen. Back over as the scripture was read in John 12, uh, 20 through 22, certain Greeks came. They, okay, you back up. John chapter 12 begins and then it goes all the way through to the end of the book of John. John has the greatest expanse or details of the last few days of Christ. All the others are much more abbreviated. John goes into a lot of detail about it. And so here, if you read back up in John, uh, the beginning of chapter 12, they were coming, Jesus is entering Jerusalem for the last time, actually. He's coming in and people are hearing about it. And so they've got the palm leaves and they're, they're laying them down. They're shouting Hosanna, praise Hosanna. And he comes in riding the young colt, the young donkey. And so with that being done, by the time you get to verses 20 and 21, there were some certain Greeks that were coming in also. They was coming in for the feast, feast of the Passover. They wanted to see Jesus. Why? Well, we don't know. It just says there were certain Greeks and they found this Philip of Basidia, knew he was one of Jesus' disciples and came to him and said, Sir, we would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. We're not sure why. Why the need? Why the need to see Jesus? Perhaps they understood that sin separates us. If, if you would, I didn't put this one up there, but if you would go back and read Luke chapter 16, you're going to find the story that's very familiar to all of us, the story of rich man and Lazarus. When they both pass away, I won't belabor with the entire story, when they both, the rich man and Lazarus pass away, they're on opposite sides of a great gulf there. The rich man was separated from God. He was in hell, lifted up his eyes, tormented. He looked and seen Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom and cried out, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. He would dip the tip of his finger in water and place it on my tongue, for I am tormented in these flames. And of course you know that the discourse. Abraham says. No can do. 
Because they that are here cannot cross over to there, neither can you who are over there cross back over here. There's a great gulf fixed. And it's impassable. Maybe they knew that story. Perhaps. Perhaps they realized as in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 18 in particular, if you read that chapter, it's God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel saying, all souls are mine. God says they're all mine. And the soul that sins, it shall die. And then there's an expansion of that explanation there because God is speaking through Ezekiel and says that the man, the father, if he sins, and he gives a whole list of these sins, breaking the commandments that he's been given, then his soul shall die. However, if his son sees the sins of his father, but does not do them, but does that which is right. Now I'm paraphrasing chapter 18, but he said if he does that which is right in the sight of God, he shall not perish. But if the son sins and breaks all of these laws of God, the commandments that's been given, then he too shall die. For he said, the son shall not bear the iniquities of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquities of the son. But the soul that sins, it shall die. Perhaps they knew that. I'm sure they did because they was coming up for the worship. They were devout Jews. Perhaps they were understanding what later would be written by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3. When Paul's writing to the church at Rome in chapter, the latter part of chapter 1, he talks about the Gentiles and how that they had taken that which was created and had begun to worship it, making all kinds of graven images and so forth, and had worshiped the creature more than the creator. And he lists a whole bunch of sins there. But he also says that by the things, the Gentiles didn't have the, the law of God, but by the things around us, the glory of God, the, everything that's been created, by that, and the, because of that, they were without excuse. He talks about the Jews, the Jews, God's chosen people. If you go back to uh, Genesis chapter 12, Paul called, I mean, uh, God calls Abraham, or Abram at the time, Tells him, said, get thee out of your father's house from your land, from your kindred, to a place I'm going to show you, and I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless them that bless you, and curse them that curse you, and in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Verse 4 says, and Abraham went. Now it's interesting, because he was 75 years old. Sarah, his wife, was 65. Ten years spread there. 24 years later, you get to chapter 17 of Genesis and God, because Abraham's faithfulness, said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And it's going to be an everlasting covenant. He said, in the sign of that covenant, it's going to be circumcision. And he will go on to say, the male child who is not circumcised, his soul shall be cut off. 
because he has broken my covenant. Later on, of course, as time marches forward, you come all the way to Romans, and in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, he says there's none righteous, no, not one. It is written, and he's going back and he's quoting Psalms chapter 14. And he said there's none righteous, no, not one. When you get to uh, verse 23 of Romans 3, he says for all, all means all. That's all all means. Every single man, woman, child, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're learning that. They knew that. These Jews had no sacrifices. It was yearly. We're in Passover. Now, as they came and they found, was looking for Jesus in John 12. They were coming in for the feast, the Passover feast. They were going to offer sacrifice because they knew that their sins needed to be covered, moved forward or rolled forward for another year because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Perhaps they understood, even though it yet had been written, but it is now written for us, Romans 6. Romans 6 Verse 23 says, what does it say? The wages of sin is death. You're going to die. That was the separation. That was what was told Adam and Eve. said, you can have anything in the garden except the fruit of this one tree. For in the day that ye eat thereof, you shall surely die. And they did. Separated. Separated by that great gulf. Sin cannot be in the presence of God and God will not and cannot be in the presence of sin. Perhaps they understood that. The wages of sin is death. But they was wanting to see Jesus. Why? Perhaps that they had heard Jesus when he said to the lame man, thy sins are forgiven. Take up thy bed and walk. Perhaps they had been there part of the 5,000 or the 3,000 that were fed by nothing because Jesus blessed it. Little boy had what? Three, three fish and about five loaves, pieces of bread, and he feeds 5,000 and then takes up frag, uh, the fragments that were left over, and it was an abundance. Far more than what they started with. Perhaps they knew that. Perhaps they were there whenever the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery was drugged and threw it, thrown at his feet and said, the law says she should die. What do you say? Perhaps they remembered someone saying, he told them that you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. And they went away one by one from the oldest down to the youngest. And then they, maybe they heard that Jesus looked up and said, woman, where are your accusers? And they said, they're not here, Lord. He said, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. They were looking for the hope because right behind Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Then the rest of that sentence says, but, 
The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. We're after that eternal life. Because Peter will tell us, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, maybe they understood that. Maybe they understood that the Lord's not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness. Long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Maybe they knew that. They was after that long-suffering of God. They was after that mercy that they knew so desperately that they needed. Maybe that was why. And what was the urgency? Why were they so anxious to be there, you think? Well, because they knew that one day it's going to be over. But we don't know when, do we? Leora White, we thought, was just doing fine. A couple weeks ago, she falls because she has a heart attack. I'm not sure, did she ever regain consciousness? I'm not sure if she ever talked about that. I know they put some stents in her, tried to do surgery, but she never regained her consciousness. She never came out of the hospital. We had a memorial last week. We don't know, do we? We had a young man a few years ago that was headed home from being out and about. Fine young man. As nice a young man as anybody would ever want to know. Lady crosses the center line, hits him head on, and they had his funeral. When is it going to end? When will it happen? If you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you're going to find that Paul, as he writes about the second coming of Christ, that one day we're going to hear the voice of God, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to be with the Lord in the, in the clouds and be with Him forevermore. You read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. Those who are being persecuted. And we might, we might very well experience some of this. Things aren't looking too well in our world. You who are being persecuted, rest with us, Paul would say. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven in his flaming fire with his mighty angels taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. When's that going to happen? Well, if you go back to 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes there, those of us who are alive and remain, he lived in such a way as if he expected it at any moment. And so also should we. Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking. He said the hour of that day, and the, uh, that day and the hour no one knows. Not even the angels which are in heaven. But the Father only. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen just like in the days of Noah. He said in the days of Noah. He said you know what was happening? Everybody was eating and drinking and marrying. All up until the day that Noah 
went into the ark. They thought everything was fine. Noah is called by Peter a preacher of righteousness. So we know that he was preaching. He was building that ark by day and he was preaching at night. Had a short sermon. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Get ready. It's going to rain. Come help me. Come be with me and help build the ark. It's going to rain. Mocked and ridiculed. Can you imagine not ever having seen something but being told about it refusing to believe in it and then all of a sudden it happened what would that do to you can you imagine being there and all of a sudden it starts raining we've had an abundance of it the last couple of weeks haven't we this year haven't we can you imagine experiencing Water falling from the sky that had never been witnessed before. Somebody screams, Noah was right. And they break and run toward where they knew the ark was sitting. Can you imagine this? And then they see it. <laughs> and they're running. They've left everything. All of their possessions, anything that they thought meant something. Because they was running to the ark. They're about 200 yards from it. They, their heart's light. We're making it. We're going to get there. If you go back and read Genesis chapter 7, I think it's about verse 14, 15. It said, and when Noah entered into the ark, God shut him in. God shut the door. They're getting close. They're going to get on that ramp. We've got it in our mind, a ramp where all those animals went in and Noah's in and then all of a sudden before they could reach it they see it start raising up and the door shuts if they ever find it the ark that we could be examined I wonder how many fingernails are going to be embedded in that gopher wood screaming trying to get in Luke chapter 13, there's a story Jesus says. It says there that Jesus was journeying and teaching toward Jerusalem. He head toward Jerusalem, but he's, as he's going, he's teaching. Now, I'm, I can relate to the guy that asked the question because I'm not the sharpest actor in the shed. Because somebody said, light bulb went off. Lord, hang on a minute. Are there only a few that's going to be saved? Jesus says he turns and answers the crowd. Strive to enter in the straight gate because many will seek to enter in and not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and has shut that door and you that are without begin to knock, open unto us. And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Maybe they knew about that. Later on in chapter 24, after he talks about Noah and the things that are going to happen, he tells us, he said, watch. He said, we need to be watching. He said, you don't know what hour or day that this is going to happen. 
Live it out. Watch. Keep your eyes peeled. Because it can happen at any moment. Your life just stops. Somebody else stops it for you. Because they run over you. Fall out of a boat and drown. Had a, had a friend of mine that I worked on the pipeline with. Louie. Louie used to call me all the time. And then a friend of ours, a mutual friend, called me and said, you ain't going to believe what happened to Louie. This happened about two years ago. He's fishing. He falls out of the boat. It's cold. It's in the wintertime. He's got so many clothes on. He, could, he almost, they said if he could have lasted another 15 seconds, he'd have made it to the bank or something he could hold on to. But he drowned it. We don't know when life is going to be taken from us. Peter said in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. The heavens are going to, they're going to go away with a mighty trembling or noise and the elements, everything will be burned up with a fervent heat. What manner of persons ought you to be knowing that these things shall come to pass? When? We don't know when. But one thing for certain, we know one day it will. Who's it going to affect? What's the urgency? I'm a good old boy. Yeah, I don't have to worry. Ah, it's going to affect everybody, isn't it? Matthew 25, the great judgment saying, all nations, every single person, every living soul, because your soul does not die. So every soul that exists are going to be gathered together before him. And he's going to separate them like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And when it happens, you're going to want like you've never wanted before. Because what's he say there? Go back and read. I give you one that's not going to be up there. Revelations 20. Revelations 20 is the judgment scene. For some reason I didn't, didn't put it up there. But the judgment scene, it says in all nations going to be gathered there. Everything's going to give up. The sea's going to give up the dead. Everybody, every soul is going to be standing in front of the judgment scene. And the books are going to be open. And another book, which is the book of life. And those who are not written in the book of life shall be cast in to the lake of fire. Why? Because Paul said in Romans 14, 10, we shall all just stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You know what he said just prior to that? And right, and, and right in that context of that? He's asking, why do you judge one another? Why are you looking at your brother and judging? You know why we do that? Because if I can look at you and I can say, oh, I seen something you're doing that you ought not be doing. At least I ain't that bad. I was a policeman way back in uh, the 70s, early 70s. Dylan works for the sheriff's office now. Scott Nugent works for the sheriff's office. Joey Alcide was a city marshal. Uh, Ben 
I went blank. Ben Harry, yeah. He, uh, he works for the sheriff's office. We've had several. And you know what the danger, I remember Gary Thibodeau. He's a past member. He's passed on now. He was a state trooper. I remember talking, and if you're not careful, you know what you find out? You think everybody's bad because that's all you're associating with are the bad of the bad because they're thrown in jail or you're dealing with because they've done something wrong. And so easily we look at other people and say, well, at least I'm not that bad. I am a pretty good old boy. Why do you judge one another? We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he will say again, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, we shall all, every one of us appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive things done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. That is you and I. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Brethren, don't look at one another. Look vertical. Look up at God. Look up at the one who died for us and set our pattern after him. Let him be the one that we seek after. Well, if all of this is important, if we know that we're sinners, if we know the end is coming, and we know we're going to be judged, then how do we reach the lost? I mean, here we are. We're, we feel pretty good, don't we? I mean, I feel pretty good this morning. I'm on a high. I've been studying all week and I've been thanking the Lord for all that we have and the, for the great country we live in and for the salvation we have found in Christ Jesus. And we're, we're good. And so we say, okay. But those Grecians, they came to Philip of Basidia and said, we need to find Jesus. Brethren, how many of us out there, how many do we know that need to find Jesus? A multitude. So how do we do it? What do we do? We need to be like Jesus, don't we? That's the greatest challenge and that's the greatest message in God's holy word. If you, and I didn't put this one up there, you can write it down. In Ephesians chapter 4, one of the wonderful chapters, I like it. Paul gives us the seven ones. He, first of all, he says, we are to be endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And he gives us the seven ones. For there's one body and one spirit, even as called, and the one hope we be calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, who is above all, through all, uh, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. What's he saying? We've all been given talents. And then he goes on to say, he who ascended up with the same is the same of the one who descended. And when he ascended up on high, he gave gifts unto men. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. For the edifying of the body of Christ. How long? Until we all come into the unity of the faith. Until a complete man. Until the fullness of the measure of the statue of Christ. We are to be like Jesus. And that's the only way 
that we're going to have any effect on teaching someone else about Jesus Christ, our Savior. What happened? Did I hit something wrong? I've lost my slides. John's working on it. There we are. I can step through from there. Hang on. Okay, it's going to affect all of us. And how do we do it? We're going to be like Jesus. John 13. Let me tell you what happened in John 13. You know, I told you that this is a very expanded, detailed account of the last couple of days of Jesus. John gives the account. In John chapter 13, they're in the upper room. They have had their, what we call the Last Supper. God, uh, Jesus has instituted what we just partook of, the Lord's Supper, giving the, breaking the bread, and he took it and he blessed it and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Took the cup in the same manner, blessed it and gave it, said, this is the cup of the New Testament. My blood which is shed for many. Do this in remembrance of me. When he gets through with that, shocks everyone in the room. Those 12 that are there. Gets up and puts a towel around himself. Girds himself with a towel. Gets that basin of water which is sitting at that door that no one had picked up that was meant to wash their feet because they wore sandals. It's dusty. They didn't have concrete sidewalks and blacktop roads. They had dirt, sand. They walked in. And he, the one who had just instituted the Lord's Supper, gets down and washes 120 dirty, nasty toes. And they're all in shock. I bet you could have heard a pin drop. Had a little discourse with Peter. Peter had a little resistance there. But it was all over. He washed the disciples' feet. And he gets through. And when he gets to verse 13, he addresses them. He gets up, puts up the basin of water, puts the towel up. He said, you call me Lord and Master. And you do well, for such I am. And if I, being your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. Be like me. Serve one another as I have served you. He's not through talking. He gets on down. Just a few more verses. And he said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. You don't want to wash each other's feet? He said, let me give you something. Give you some motivation. Let me give you something that will help you with that. He said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. How are you going to show that love? Serving. Don't be so high and mighty that you won't wash one another's feet. Serve. Be like me. Romans 8, 29. For, talking about God, for those whom he did foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the whole purpose of God saving us, to be like Jesus to do what he had done, to walk like he walked, to do as Christ had done. He did it for us, let's do it for him. Philippians 2, 5. 
Philippians 2 starts off, if there be any consolation, any, uh, any worthwhileness, I'll put it that way. If there any love, any compassion, he said, help one another. Look upon the needs of others more than your own needs. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say how that Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not Robert to be equal to God, but he emptied himself. You know, you can't help anybody. If you're full of self, there's no room. You must empty yourself of self before you can be of any benefit to anyone else. So empty yourself and be like Jesus. Then we'll help one another. 1 Peter 2.21 talks about how that they were suffering, they were miserable, they were being persecuted. And he said, Hereunto were you called. Christ also suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Be like Jesus. John said, 1 John 2.6, If any man says that he is in Christ, he himself ought also to walk even as he walked. Be like Jesus. That's the only way we're going to be able to take the message to the Lord. To be like Jesus. Luke 11, 1. Teach us to pray, they asked the Lord. Teach us to pray. Paul attests in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 to pray without ceasing. You ever prayed like that? Ah, you will one day when something dreadful happens to you. Or you're scared to death because of something some doctor has told you. Some friend has told you. Someone you've seen in need. Walk. Walk like he walked. Be like Jesus. Serve like he served. Be like Jesus. Love like he loved. Be like Jesus. Jesus. That's the way the world's going to say it. And then people are going to come. Sirs, we would see Jesus. And they're going to see him in you. They're going to see him living in you. And they're going to say, sir, show us and teach us what you've learned. By that, we'll be able to spread the borders of God's kingdom to fill up these buildings with people who are striving to know more about Jesus. We need to be like Jesus, brethren. And if we are, then others will see Jesus living within us and they'll say, see the good that it comes from being like Him. I don't know what your needs are. You're sitting at home. Think about it. Phone lines are open. All, we, all of us, the elders here or any of the other faithful members you know about, we all have cell phones. Call us. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. If you need to put your Lord on because you have obeyed, you want to obey from the heart that form of God, that, that form of doctrine that's been delivered unto us, to hear God's word, to believe it, to repent, to go down to a water grave of baptism and have our sins washed away, call us. We'll come up to the building here and meet you. There's a baptistry right behind this screen. Whatever your need is, all you need to do 
is let us know and to come.